All right, there should be a sheet nearby that just basically contains our doctrinal statement with uh, broken out a little bit with some spacing for you to take notes if you should decide to do that. Um, we want to get back into our study of what we teach about God, and particularly this is uh, the sections on God the Father. So what I'll do is I'll just start by... Um, again, reading the paragraph that we're working our way through, and then we'll pick up um, where, we, where we left off last time. So let me just read the full paragraph just to give us some context. We teach that God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, orders and disposes all things according to his own purpose and grace. Uh, he is the creator of all things. As the only absolute and omnipotent ruler in the universe, he is sovereign in creation, providence, and redemption. His fatherhood involves both his designation within the Trinity and his relationship with mankind. As creator, he is father to all men, to all men, but he is spiritual father only to believers. He has decreed for his own glory all things that come to pass. He continually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and events. In his sovereignty, he is neither the author nor approver of sin nor does he abridge the accountability of moral, intelligent creatures. He has graciously chosen from eternity past those whom he would have as his own. He saves from sin all who come to him through Jesus Christ. He adopts as his own all those who come to him, and he becomes, upon adoption, father to his own. So we want to pick up with uh, really the statement that we're... Uh, it said that God has decreed for his own glory all things that come to pass. And on Sundays we've been in Ephesians, and this is a key, uh, Ephesians 1 is a key passage to really help us understand who God is and what he's, what he's done and what he's doing. So the fact that God has decreed for his own glory all things that come to pass is supported like passages like Ephesians 1 verses 11 and 12, which we, we will get to, we're not there yet. Um, this Sunday will be in, in verse 7. But let me just read that to you, verses 11 and 12. In him, we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the end that we who had first hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Notice that phrase, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So sometimes in scripture, the word all is, is bracketed by the context or limited by the context. But there's nothing in this context that limits this, this all. This, this all is all-encompassing, nothing excluded. It's exhaustive. So he works all things according to the counsel of his will. So there's not, there's not one rebel molecule in the universe. There's no part of creation over which Christ does not rule. God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit do not rule as, as Lord over them. And as such, God continually upholds, he directs, and governs all creatures and events. Here, uh, we reference uh, 1 Chronicles 29, verses uh, 10 to 13. This is when, um, David, when David, David blessed Yahweh in the sight of all assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, our Father, from everlasting to everlasting. And listen, listen his, to his praise, how he describes God. He says, Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, 
and you exalt yourself as head over all. Again, there's no part of creation that is outside his rule over his authority. And David continues, both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all and in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. So now, our God, we are thanking you and praising your glorious name. Um, God is sovereign. In his sovereignty, God is neither the author nor approver of sin, nor does he abridge the accountability of moral, intelligent creatures. So this is very important for us to understand because in, in the human mind, what we tend to do is we accept, okay, if God's totally sovereign, then why is there so much evil? And, and that's a whole other lesson on its own is to digging into that. But I'm just trying to help you set the framework for who God is. And the, the framework is that he's sovereign over everything. There's not a single molecule that's like rebellious to him. Although it looks like that from our vantage point, doesn't it? People rebelling, nations rebelling, our own government rebelling, and promoting things that God hates on all sorts of levels. But the scriptures say God is sovereign. And at the same time, he is not the author of or approver of sin. That's just really to kind of latch on because sometimes evil things, well, there's a lot of evil in this world, but sometimes we experience the evil. Sometimes we're the recipients of the evil. Um, whether that evil is done by your spouse or whether it's done by um, some crook who's on drugs. There's a lot of carjackings in several big cities, Washington, D.C., and among others that just on the rise. And these people don't care about human life and they don't think twice about shooting somebody. So evil things happen. And so you, you, it makes you question, well, in a human mind, again, we, we would think, well, either if God's sovereign, then he must, like, then he must not be loving. Because if he was loving, he'd stop this. That's, that's how we think about it. Or those who would say that, no, God is, they just say, God is loving. We accept he's loving. He can't be anything other than love. So therefore, he must not be sovereign. Because if he were loving and sovereign, he would stop these. But what you have to understand is the world doesn't revolve around us. What was the greatest atrocity in the history of humanity? The crucifixion. And God predestined that that happened. So it's a, it's a good way for us to, uh, looking at the cross helps us to understand God, how God interacts with, directs all things. Uh, I mentioned it before, but it just bears repeating. The, the, the Romans are responsible. The Roman leaders are responsible. The Gentiles were responsible. The Jews are responsible. The Jewish leaders are responsible, but God predestined. So how does God predestine something that's evil. Well, he does that by directing people and allowing them to just have their free will in a certain area, and he knows how they're going to act. He is not the author of that. He is not, you couldn't say he's the author of the murder of Jesus, but he predestined that it occurred because the murder of Jesus was unjust. Just from the standpoint of Christ dying for our sins, but unjust because the reasons that, that men put him to death were all unjust. It was all, they're all false charges. 
There wasn't a single accurate charge for which they put Christ to death for. So, well, he did say he was the son of God, but he really was the son of God. So it was, they thought he was lying, but he wasn't. So looking at the crucifixion helps us understand the depth of God's love, but also how he interacts with evil in order to bring about his purposes and his grand plan. And we can't always see that. And we are going to have trials of various kinds on this earth. Um, and so having these things as like a framework in our mind is, is very important. So don't take my word for it. So you look at passages like Habakkuk 1.13. There the prophet Habakkuk says, Your eyes are too pure to see evil. You cannot look on trouble. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And Habakkuk's trying to understand really what a lot of people, today, Christians today, understand. Why, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my nation? Uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily have it easy as Christians, but compared to the rest of the world, we have it pretty easy. So there are a lot of Christians in many other places of the world who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are being run out of their homes, uh, run out of their villages, all for the name of, of Christ. So we just have to go back to passages like Habakkuk 1.13 and say, your eyes are too, too pure to see evil. God's not the author of evil. Uh, he doesn't commend evil. He doesn't approve of evil. He doesn't approve of sin. Um, and he doesn't abridge the accountability of moral intelligent creatures. What does the word abridge mean? It, it means that he doesn't cancel out. Just the fact that he's sovereign uh, doesn't mean that it cancels out man's responsibility. And Paul deals with this some in, in Romans uh, 8 and 9. Uh, but you know, where Paul says, uh, you know, mimicking mimicking uh, the response of the unbeliever. He's like, like, well, you know, who are you to hold me accountable? Because you made me this way. But Paul's response is basically, who are you to tell the potter uh, how to make the, the, the pot, so to speak? So uh, we just have to remember that, that our Lord does not approve of evil and he's sovereign over it all and all things happen to the, in a way that brings about his glory, even when we can't see it. Um, talking about uh, just the Lord's uh, interaction with some of this, like the, how he interacted with those charges against him. John 8 and, and John 8, um, particularly uh, verses uh, 38 to 47. And let me just read that, uh, John chapter 8. And really picking up in, in verse 38. He says, uh, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you would do the deeds of Abraham. But now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. 
And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I did not even come of myself, but he sent me. So why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of the father of the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. And, and the reason of, of, let me just read for the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death ever. And they accuse Jesus of having a demon. The, the point of looking at a dialogue like that is to help see that Jesus expected them to believe. Now, he said they couldn't believe because they were of the, of the father of the devil, but they, they, are hold, they are held responsible. They are culpable for their unbelief. Um, and then in, in 1 Peter 1, verses 17 and 19, there Peter uh, just kind of jumping in, he, he says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of, of Christ. So our God will be an impartial judge of each one's work. And our Lord does not um, uh, does not approve of sin. He is not the author of sin. And he holds each person responsible for their sin, even though he's sovereign over all. Yes, Jesse. I, I don't want to cut you off, but I was going to bring it up afterwards, but since you brought the verse up, I'm going to ask you. So when you're reading through these at the start, Talk about him as creator. He said, as creator, he is the father to all men. But then in John says that Satan is your father. Right. How do you differentiate the terms of fathering? The father, God is the, God is the father of all those who have ever been made, in the sense that he's creator. But he is father in a spiritual sense to all those who have been reborn and regenerated. It's just a different. Correct. Both are true, but he's doubly the father of those who are redeemed and adopted into his family. Satan's so. the spiritual father of the law. Right. And Satan is the, the god of this world. We're gonna we're gonna dig in to this some on Sunday because we're talking about redemption and why why we need to be redeemed. So we'll be digging into that on, on Sunday, looking at Ephesians one verse seven. All right, so good, good question there. On the next statement, we say that God has graciously chosen from eternity past those whom he would have as his own. He saves from sin all who come to him through Jesus Christ. He adopts as his own all those who, who come to him, and he becomes upon adoption father to his own. So it kind of goes where you were asking this. Um, Passages that, we'll, that we are looking at even on Sunday, Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6, 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. And then John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heir also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And then Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And then also in Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 9, reads, And you have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had, an, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our benefit, so that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness." So the Lord deals with his people, those he redeems and adopts in a, in a, in a special sense of being father. And that's, um, we are adopted by faith in Jesus Christ. That adoption, again, was predestined. We are predestined to that. And he treats us as sons. And, and there the author of Hebrews uses the example of earthly fathers, imperfect as they are. They disciplined us as they thought best for our good. But God, who knows everything perfectly, disciplines us also for our good. And if you don't experience the discipline of God, then you're an illegitimate child, is what the author of Hebrews is, is telling us there. So these, this is just, these are summaries, summary statements of what we teach about God. And uh, again, we're dealing some of it in, we're dealing with this on Sunday, uh, particularly about redemption. But I, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to meditate on these truths and to, and to understand these truths. Understand that we teach the full sovereignty of God in every realm, including salvation. At the same time, that means that he holds all responsible. So, you know, Pilate... Uh, was responsible for murdering Jesus. He's culpable for murdering Jesus. At the same time, um, God was sovereign over that. So God is sovereign over 
the salvation of each individual person. And for those he, he redeems, right? he has chosen you, he's elected you before the foundation of the world. He's predestined you to, be, to adoption as sons uh, through Jesus Christ to the praise of his, the glory of his grace. Right? That implies that there are some that do not, that are not elect, that are not predestined. So of those, they go to hell on their own accord. God is not actively directing them to disobey him. So in salvation, the Lord works in our lives to open our eyes. He, he has to make us alive, as we're going to see from Ephesians chapter 2. He has to awaken us as we get into our doctrinal statement as far as the doctrine of salvation, of soteriology. We'll get more into this. But I think it's helpful to think about it now. Where God is actively at work in our lives in order to help us to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. Right? You're saved through faith, but that faith is not of yourselves, Paul says in Ephesians 2. It's a, it's a gift of God. So for those that the Lord passes over, he does not elect. They are on their own accord. They are fully responsible for believing. And, and in the judgment day, they'll be held accountable for whatever knowledge of God they had that they rejected and rebelled against. So the scriptures do not teach what we call a, a, like a double active predestination. And I can get more into this at a, at a, separate, a separate time. God is not actively causing people to sin in order that he can send them to hell. And that's important to understand that God is just letting people go their own way. And you would say, well, why didn't God save everybody? Because in his wisdom, he chose not to save everybody. And he can do that and be perfectly just and righteous. Because again, God doesn't have to save anybody. And he'd still be just. Do you know that it would be easier and less costly for God to totally annihilate the world and to recreate it? And it would be to redeem it. How long did it take him to, to create the world? Six days. What scriptures say? How long does it take him to redeem mankind? Thousands. Right? Now, does it have to take that? No, but that's his perfect plan. And at the cost of the, of the, of the death of the son. So in, in God's wisdom, the plan of redemption is perfect and he's, he's chosen it. And we can just sit back and react to it and, and praise and adoration and say, why me? Why me? And the answer to why me is because he chose you. Um, what, what implications flow from the knowledge that God is sovereign over all? Do you think about that? How, how can we apply that? We've talked a lot about salvation, but it's not limited to salvation. How does, know, how does knowing that God is sovereign over everything help you live your life for Christ? Ashley? Unless you praise in the trials. Praise him? In, I mean, in the trials. In the trials. You, seem like, you know that things are going well. Yes. You know that it's still ordained. You take comfort Correct. in that. You're not secret. Correct. Yeah, you can praise God in the trial, meaning you may not and probably won't understand why you're going through the trial. So if you have sinned and God's disciplining you, then you understand. But many of our trials aren't because of sin. They're not discipline. They're just the trials that God is directing in our way to perfect our faith, 
and to use us as objects for his glory. So, so even when you don't understand why you're going through a trial, you always can go back to the, the author of the trial, which is God, and just, just resting in God and knowing that there is a purpose. Like your suffering is, is not without purpose, even if we don't understand what the purpose is. So absolutely. What else? Yeah, Betsy? Correct. Yeah, just to to really just praise and adore him and and worship him that he chose us, that he sovereignly um, chose us, that he elected us, that he predestined us, that he died for us. Um, I make a, I've already said it a little bit this past week, but again this coming week, it's not as if like the Father chose you, uh, he predestined you as an adoption as a son, and then when Christ is on the cross, he's dying for the mass of humanity without knowing the individuals he's dying for. It makes, it makes no sense. So Christ knew those for whom he died. Um, just because he's sovereign. And could have died for everybody. And there's no limit to the efficacy of his of his atonement it is without without it's of infinite value so what else yeah i think it helps very much with guilt we go through our christian life with disappointment after disappointment usually on behalf of ourselves and how we react to things how we speak to things missed opportunities and just us being not very wise and mighty and it helps us to realize that like, God could have prevented every one of those situations from happening. He could have equipped us to overcome those situations, but helps us to try again. Like, okay. We can't alter God's plans no matter how much we mess things up. Yeah, we can't alter God's plans. And, and also you interact with his sovereignty. Like when you fail, you, when you sin, let's be specific, when you sin against him, God didn't ordain that sin. Could he have stopped it? Well, yes, that's what you said. He, he surely could have, but he's wanting you to grow and he's wanting you to trust him to overcome the sin. But nonetheless, he chose you knowing, knowing that you would do that. And that sin has already been forgiven because he knows all things perfectly. It's already, the atonement for that's already been paid. So just, just knowing that, wrapping your mind around that should help you fight sin more. Um, so just, just allow that to, to cause you to, to, to really not only praise him, but fight sin more, fight sin in your own life more. And Corey, hold on just a minute. There is another hand, I think, over here. Okay. He kind of... It was her. <laughs> okay. But it, it was just piggybacking off of that. You're, when, you, when your mind is filled with if-only questions, like regret and like if this had happened if only this had happened and then this situation would be happened it's like right in my face right now so but i i've been thinking how god's sovereignty is so helpful in those situations and stopping the yeah yeah just dealing with dealing with regret i think one thing one thing to process although 
you know, certainly God does not ordain evil. We've already talked about that. God does not, he's not the author of evil. He didn't ordain you to, to, to evil. In fact, when he brings you to a place where you're experiencing temptation, it is to strengthen your faith. And he always provides a way of escape. And there isn't a way of escape. You have to find that, that way of escape uh, to, to escape that particular sin. But just um, knowing God is, is sovereign over all those things. And then when you're dealing with regret, the reason we deal with regret is because things haven't worked out so well for us. But again, trusting the Lord's sovereignty, that he's teaching you through this and that he has you where he has you. Usually regret sets in because you look back and say, well, if I made that decision, I would be better off than I am today. Right? Um, and that's kind of foolish thinking in a way because you, you didn't make the decision. You are where you are. But you, in some cases, you weren't even a believer when you made some of those decisions that you're now working through all the ramifications of. You just trust that the Lord's sovereignty to care for you where you are now. And believe me, there are times when the Lord will use his providence to keep you from going off a cliff. So if you're truly saved. So sometimes it hurts to hit the, you know, the, the guardrails. You know, the guardrails alongside the road, they're there for a reason. And if you hit it, it's going to mess your car up. So sometimes in our lives, we bump up against things and God just, in his providence, keeps us from going off the cliff in a certain area. And we'll suffer some consequence of hitting the guardrail, but we don't suffer the ultimate consequence of, you know, of, of something much more devastating. And that's that discipline of the Father that steps into our lives and, and redirects us. So. Corey, did you have some? Oh, um, yeah, I think that um, not only should it help us to forgive ourselves, as Rachel alluded to, but it should also help us be more willing to forgive each other and to understand kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning mm -hmm. of prayer. Um, to, to rather than go to extremes with our reaction to things, look closely at the person and be willing to forgive them and to, if need be, work through the issue of disagreement with them rather than resort to emotions and things that actually aren't real when God and His sovereignty chose us. Right. He, he chose us and He. he orchestrates all events so if you're even thinking through it like how joseph reacted to the the sin that his brothers committed against him selling him into slavery you know at the end of that joseph's able to say well well you guys meant it for evil but god meant it for good so that coming back that's that's just recognizing lord's sovereign care recognizing god as father and that he's sovereign over everything and that's that's what he's working and sometimes it doesn't feel very loving I'm sure Joseph did not feel loved when he was sitting in a cell or when he's at the bottom of the pit when his brother's wanting to kill him. But at the end of it, he could see God's direction and all of that. So just keep trusting God. And the Lord's sovereignty helps out in other areas. Like something very common is worry and anxiety. You guys probably don't deal with any of that, do you? I've heard Christians dealing with worry, worry, and anxiety. I've heard that. So, yeah, you've heard of some people being anxious every once in a while. Yeah. Can't can't understand it at all, can yeah. you? Yeah. This is why Paul can say, "Be anxious for nothing." 
Really, Paul, nothing? He says nothing. Nothing. Not for your life. Not, you know, Jesus talks about that. Not your, for your clothing, Matthew 6. Not what you're going to eat. You know, your Heavenly Father knows all these things. He knows what you need. Even before you need it. But just keep coming back to these truths. You're going to face anxious-inducing situations. So don't feel like that is sin. It's not sinful to encounter something that like causes you to, to want to be anxious. It's like, what do you do with that thought once it's in your head? You take every thought captive. You go back to Scripture and you say, no, I have no reason to be anxious because my Father is in control of everything and He loves me. So obviously, if you're in a dangerous situation, that doesn't mean you claim the verse and act like there's nothing dangerous going on. No, you use common sense the Lord gave you to protect yourself at the same time, trusting him that he's sovereign over everything while you're doing that. But that, that's a very practical application of his sovereignty. And his sovereignty motivates us to pray as well. And some might say, well, if God's sovereign, why pray? Well, you don't understand that God not only ordains the end, he ordains the means to that end. He wants you. He commands you to pray. So in some way, we don't understand God uses our prayers, even though he's a sovereign God and has orchestrated all things. But again, he's not only orchestrated the end or the purpose, but he's orchestrated the means, which is he intends for you to pray, and he intends to fulfill that prayer to bring about his purposes. And that, that brings him more glory than you just sitting back saying, well, God's going to do it anyway. Well, that's true. God's going to do it anyway. It's kind of like God's sovereign in salvation. God's going to bring in the elect. He's going to do it. So you, you can respond to that sinfully by saying, well, God's going to do it, so I don't need to do it. Really? You're going to respond that way? You've been chosen before the foundation of the world, and your response to that is, oh, God did everything. That's not a, a Christ-honoring or holy response at all. So um, the doctrines of grace, properly understood, will motivate you to more obedience, to more evangelism, to more prayer, more praise to God, uh, more faithful living. Uh, as you understand these things, they'll motivate you to that. Not less, not laziness. Not feeding the flesh, um, not self-protection, but God ex exhortation. So other important implications would be things thinking through like um, all of this speaks of the Father's love, how he loves us. So as we meditate on these things to, to just allow that to grow our love for him. Uh, that... Some of these things are difficult for us to understand, and we don't understand them completely, like the intersection of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I've said before, I, I, can't, un, I can't explain that to you. I just know that Scripture teaches both, uh, teaches both with clarity. So it should help us to understand that we're not going to understand everything about God. So God, we can understand what God's revealed to us in His Scriptures, but there's much about God that he has not revealed that we're just not going to understand, at least not here. And in a certain sense, not ever. 
because we're, we're finite creatures and God is an infinite creator. So we won't completely understand, but that doesn't matter. He, he's God, and we're just going to enjoy being in his presence for eternity. And you won't even want to know everything about God. Um, to a certain extent, you're, you're going to enjoy learning about God every day. I look forward to uh, Jesus' preaching. I have a feeling that he'll be doing a lot of preaching in eternity and telling us all about who he is. Um, so that that's something to look forward to, is the king of preachers preaching. Um, and, and just remembering that throughout through life's difficulties that God is is righteous and holy in everything that he does. So it's from our perspective, it doesn't always look that way. But you go back to scripture where we live by faith and trusting the word of God, not our experiences of, of our life. And the Lord will work that out in his glory and honor. Questions? Time for a few questions. You know, I heard a quote, read a quote from MacArthur several months ago that, and I'm paraphrasing, he postulated the sovereignty of God, postulated kind of like this, like, for the Christian, when the Christian greets each new day, he or she should, like, think to themselves, well, let me see what the sovereignty of God has for me today. And, and it could be, like, Good or bad. Could be good right? or bad. But it's in the expectancy of God's vision, his activity, his knowledge, his revelation through events, just whatever he's doing. Correct. Uh, allowing that and go on. And so, so it's waking, just to paraphrase, as I'll repeat it so that it gets in the recording, but it's, it's framing of your everyday life from the time you wake up, recognizing. Everything's sovereign and understanding, like what, asking yourself proactively, Lord, what do you have for me today? And because there's things that happen, you're like, you want it to go this way. <laughs> happens a lot, right? You, want, you have this plan, but there's something else that happens. And if you don't recognize the Lord's sovereignty in it and submit to that, you become angry that it didn't go as you wanted it to go. And then essentially, what are you saying? You should be God. You know better than God. And of course, none of us will say that directly. None of us want to be so arrogant and, um, you know, disrespectful to God. But that's that's how we react when we get angry because something didn't go the way we wanted it to, rather than recognizing the Lord's sovereignty in it and trusting Him with that. So, good good point, Joe. Time for one more. One more question, comment? Okay, well, let me pray and close in prayer. And just, if you have other questions, please uh, know that I'm, I'll be glad to try to answer them after the, after the uh, service. Lord God, we are just so indebted to you. As, as these scriptures manifest, we looked at tonight, you are sovereign in everything, and particularly you're sovereign in salvation. We would never choose you. We would never uh, believe in you. We would never embrace the wisdom of God if it were not for you working in our lives to draw us to yourself, to call us to yourself, to elect us and um, 
to adopt us and to provide a redeemer so you could adopt us. Lord God, we just praise and exalt you. And Lord, just ask that you would help us to embrace your, your sovereignty. Please uh, forgive us for all the times that we bucked against your sovereignty, that we thought we knew better. Um, I mean, angry or frustrated or reacting the other way and depressed because of what things are going on. Lord, help us to live for your glory, to rejoice in all things, uh, earnestly rejoice because you are the King of heaven. Lord over all, you will be exalted. And in the end, Christ will be King over all and justice will be done. You will ensure that. And we just rejoice in you and thank you for that. Lord, just help us to live faithfully in light of your sovereignty over everything. And we thank you for redeeming and saving us and just ask that you use us as uh, eager and faithful and zealous ambassadors for Christ that we would tell many the gospel, that we would scatter the seeds of the gospel uh, wide and, and diligently. And just ask that you would bring much fruit from that. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.